This is our prayer. As we come to your word this morning, which is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. May your word penetrate today. Lord, bring encouragement where there needs to be encouragement. Challenge, even conviction, where there needs to be challenge. And most of all, Lord, may we see Christ through the preaching of your word. May we see Christ. And if there be someone here today who does not know Christ, today would be the day that you would call them into your family, into your kingdom. May they repent of their sins and put their full faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We pray all these things. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, where Pastor Doug just read for us from verses 1 through 13. Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. As you're doing that, uh, I need to give a brief announcement from Pastor Don. Uh, he wanted me to pass on to you all that he'll be on vacation for the next six weeks or so. Uh, he is coming back, don't worry. But let's be in prayer for him and Nancy as they travel. They're going to be seeing relatives and uh, taking their time going out to Colorado and back. Let's pray that they have a refreshing time and come back rejuvenated for the work of the ministry here at South. Some of you may be able to remember a faith story that we did with Ernie Holly back in December of 2020. Somewhere along the line, Don Cooper had come to the understanding that he had the spiritual gift of meeting people through dog treats. And that's how he met Ernie in August of 2020. Ernie had a big dog named Woofy. And Don would carry dog treats in his pocket, and he met Woofy first through the dog treats, and then he met Ernie. Ernie did not get any dog treats. At about the same time, in our evangelism prayer meetings, we began to pray for Ernie. And it was somewhat surprising to me. After only a couple of weeks, Don came back and reported that Ernie had prayed to repent of his sins and put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And I have to admit, I was, to my shame, a little bit skeptical. How does something like that happen so quickly? And yet... It was genuine. Ernie began meeting with Don three times a week for discipleship Bible studies, memorizing scripture, praying together, even telling everyone, and I guess his house was like Grand Central Station, but everyone that came in through his doors, he told them about his new purpose in life. That was to live for Jesus. Shortly after his faith story, he was baptized and joined our church in April of 2021, little did any of us know at that time what would happen exactly one day to the year later. On Easter Sunday morning, just one month ago, we received the news that Ernie had received his heavenly promotion. As I thought about Ernie's story, I haven't been able to shake the potential of what would have been had Christ not saved him from his sins. Instead of now being in the presence of Jesus where the psalmist says there is fullness of joy 
and at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. He would be eternally separated from Christ, suffering forever and ever in the place Jesus calls hell. Jesus describes as a lake of fire where the fire is not quenched. And I can't help thinking about what a short window of opportunity that Ernie had at the end of his life. Like I already said, Don met him in August of 2020. He quickly repented of his sins, put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. In our evangelism prayer meetings, we had been praying for people for a long time. I've been praying for a friend of mine for a couple of years. We're still praying for him. He watched, he's probably watching the live stream right now. He knows we pray for him. He still hasn't received Christ. We don't know how much time any of us has. And Ernie's story is a stark reminder of that fact. And so as we come to our text this morning in Ephesians 3, my goal is to encourage everyone in the gospel, the good news that Jesus saves. His kingdom has begun. He is ruling and reigning, and that his kingdom is for all people all over the earth. And it's our great privilege as subjects of the kingdom of God to be his representatives announcing this good news over and over again, both to one another as redeemed citizens of that kingdom, but also to those who are not yet in that kingdom, inviting them to accept the king's invitation to lay down their arms of resistance and rebellion and submit to Jesus' reign in their lives. So let's take a look at our text this morning. And as we do, I'd like you to have in mind this summary of these 13 verses. Christians are ministers of the revealed mystery. Or I could say it like this. Christians are announcers of the good news. The second phrase being an explanation of the first. I'll let you choose which one you want to remember, or maybe you're an overachiever and you'll remember both. That's good. Let's read this text again that Doug has read. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for every, everyone what is the plan of the mystery, hidden for ages in God who created all things so that 
through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul launches verse one by stating that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. As Paul wrote this, he was literally sitting in a Roman prison cell. But Paul didn't look around that place for his prison warden. No, he was there as a prisoner of Christ. Who is Christ? We know who he is both because Paul specifically says Christ Jesus, but also because we know that the word Christ isn't a name. If you've taken Christianity Explored, you know that the word Christ is a title that means God's only chosen king, whom God promised to send into the world. So whenever and wherever the term Christ is used in the New Testament, and it's used all the way through this passage, we need to have this description in our minds. We are talking about King Jesus. And this would have been abundantly obvious to the Ephesian believers as they read this letter. As God's only chosen king, Christ had inaugurated the kingdom of God, and Paul is one of Christ's ministers in this kingdom. Now what an upside down world this kingdom is. That one of King Jesus' ministers would find his serving place in a prison. But what did Jesus say? The last shall be first, first shall be last, least shall be the greatest. Do you want to be great in the kingdom of God? Then you're going to have to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So this is Paul's world. This is his place of ministry, a prison cell in Rome where he is a prisoner for Christ on behalf of the Gentiles. And it is these Gentiles specifically that Paul has been writing about in the opening chapters and we'll continue to write about in our text this morning. Now where do we get the idea that Christians are ministers of the revealed ministry or announcers of the good news? Well, we get it from verses two through 12. And notice first of all, that the overall theme of this section has something to do with a mystery. And this mystery has been revealed. And that's where we get our sentence, Christians are ministers of the revealed mystery. Zeroing in on verse four and verse 10, we see that the ministry, mystery has something to do with Christ and his church. Paul is going to restate this later in chapter five and verse 32 where he summarizes his exhortation to husbands and wives by saying that this marriage relationship is of utmost importance and significance because it too is a mystery that also refers to Christ and the church. Paul does this in verse 31 by appealing to the, the creation account of marriage given in Genesis chapter two. And this he does to support all he said about husband and wife 
relations. But this means that ever since the beginning of creation, God has planted a mystery in the bonds of marriage that points forward to Christ and the church. That's why Paul writes in in verse 9 of chapter 3 that it was the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. The seed of the mystery of Christ and the church is planted in the creation account of the institution of marriage. And according to verse 5, that mystery wasn't revealed, wasn't even known to be a mystery until it was made known in the New Testament times to the apostles and the prophets. And this because it was the Holy Spirit who revealed it to them. And verse 10 tells us more about the church's role in this mystery. When the church fulfills its role in whatever this mystery of Christ is, then the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is one of the reasons why I've written under the title Ephesians, my four-word summary of this whole book. And it's this. Think cosmically. Act locally. There is something in the church that when the church does it well, like God has purposed it to do, God's wisdom is made known to these unseen forces of good and evil all around us. Because of the implications of the mystery of Christ in the church, believers have a special relationship with King Jesus, boldness, access, and confidence through our faith in him. Okay, so we've danced around this mystery long enough. Let's zero in on the heart of this passage and discover what the mystery of Christ and the church is that Paul has been writing about and what our response to it should be. First of all, the mystery is described in verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We read this in our 21st century Western context today. And if we don't consider what the first century Middle Eastern context was, we lose the significance, even the scandal of what Paul is writing. In that day and in that place, racism reared its ugly head most significantly between Jews and Gentiles. And it was a two-way street. Both had anything from prejudice to strong animosity towards the other. So when Paul writes that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the same promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, it would be shocking outside of the context of the gospel. But this is a mystery because it was both unanticipated and unattainable apart from Christ. Going back to our marriage discussion earlier, what is the point of marriage that it illustrates related to the mystery of Christ and the church? Well, Paul explains that 
what it is, both in chapter 5 and verse 31, in chapter 1, 9 through 10, and here in 3, 6. Notice in chapter 5 and verse 31, Paul quotes from Genesis 2, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Back in chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, Paul first introduced the concept of this mystery by writing, The mystery set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now what stands out from all three of these passages? It is the unity that exists. This is the mystery of Christ and the church. So we could paraphrase verse 6 and say that the mystery is the church is a unified body of Jews and Gentiles sharing all the rights and privileges of being united to Christ and united to one another through the gospel. As such, local churches are strategic outposts for the kingdom through the world, showing the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places as it joyfully exists in the unity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can't help but think about Ernie's situation again. Not only where he is now in relation to where he could have been otherwise, but also what a change that took place in his life a year and a half ago when he received Christ. Paul describes what that change looks like for all of us in chapters 1 and 2 as he illustrates why this mystery is this unification of people to one another through Christ and the gospel. Notice he says, first of all, in chapter 2 and verse 12, that before Christ, we were separated from him. And yet now, we are united to Jesus. Before Christ, we were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. That means uh, the only way before Christ that you could have a relationship with God was through his people Israel. But now, we have been reconciled together with the saints to God in one body through the cross, which kills the hostility. Before Christ, we were strangers to the covenants of promise. All the promises in the Old Testament had nothing to do with us. But now, we are fellow citizens in this kingdom with the saints. Before Christ, we had no hope being without God in the world, now we are members of the household of God. Before Christ, we were separated by a dividing wall of hostility. Now in Christ, we are united with saints in peace. And before Christ, we were strangers and aliens. But now we are built together with the saints into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What a transformation, what a change that takes place and can only take place in Christ Jesus. These spiritual benefits, I'm, I'm afraid to say though, as we sit here and go over them, can just kind of like wash over us. And if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, you might think, that's nice. But these spiritual benefits should be more exciting to us than what the physical benefits would be for someone who is rescued out of war-torn Ukraine and brought somewhere else in the world where there is safety, given a house, given a car, given a job, 
Such a person would be out of their minds ecstatic. And even more so if their family members were also transplanted with them. But the change of loyalties, masters, kingdoms that the Christian experiences at the moment of salvation is worth infinitely more than that. Now you might be sitting here or watching the live stream thinking, why does it matter to me that I'm separated from Christ? What does it mean to me to be strangers to the covenants of promise without hope, without God and without hope in the world? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. In his little book, How to Reach the West Again, Pastor Tim Keller describes the unsurpassed resources of Christianity for each person as this. A meaning in life that suffering can't take away but can even deepen. Isn't that what we heard from the faith story this morning? A satisfaction that isn't based on circumstances. An identity that isn't fragile or based on the performance or the exclusion of others. A way to both deal with guilt and and forgive others without residual bitterness or shame. A basis for seeking justice that does not turn us into oppressors ourselves. A way to face not only the future, but death itself with poise and peace. An explanation for the senses of transcendent beauty and love we often experience. Put another way, Keller concludes, our indelible needs and longings for these things are actually echoes of our need for God. That's why Paul describes the riches of Christ in verse 8 as being unsearchable. So the mystery is that Jews and Gentiles, all people in all places, are unified in the church because of the gospel. This means that there is nothing more important than our unity in Christ today. This tears down all the walls that are keeping us separated and trying to divide us in our world today. And it gives us real meaning, significance, identity, forgiveness, justice, hope, and a framework, a worldview that makes sense of our lives and the world around us. But what about the first part of our theme? Christians are ministers of the revealed ministry, or Christians are announcers of the good news. That part is explained in verses 7 through 10. Paul says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Now, the New Testament was written in Greek, and I took three years of Greek in seminary, but I have to admit my Greek is pretty rusty. But there are a couple of words in these verses that even those who haven't studied Greek might recognize, and the first word is minister. This comes from the Greek word diakonos, from which we get our word deacon, which literally means servant. So minister, deacon, means one who serves, and it's important for us to see that otherwise we might think that what Paul is talking about here as being a minister only applies to him and, and, and maybe the pastoral staff at the church, maybe the deacons as well, but certainly not to the rest of the congregation. 
But Paul is using the term minister here in relation to the term stewardship that he used back in verse 2. In other words, this is a work of service that God has entrusted to Paul, and not just to Paul. Take a second look over at chapter 4. If you have your Bibles open, or just right across the page for me. Um, if you have a digital device, you'll have to uh, scroll a little bit. But look at chapter 4 in verses 7 and then verses 11 and 12. It says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of, what's that word? Let's try again. It's on the screen. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. If you are a saint, and that's what Paul calls Christians most often in our text here, if you read through Ephesians, saints. If you are a saint, if you've switched your loyalties from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God with Jesus as your king, then you are also a minister in that kingdom. God has given you a stewardship, a responsibility, an act of service. And the ministry that you've been given begins with what Paul explains in verses 8 and 9. Preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ and enlightening everyone to God's plan for the ages, uniting all things in Christ. You might object and say, but I can't preach. Well, this is where it is helpful to understand what the Greek word for preach is in verse 8. There are a couple of words that our English Bibles translate from the Greek, and, and, and these two words both are translated as preach. One of those is charax. And charax means to do what I'm doing right now. I even knew a pastor at one time who had a license plate that said Carrickser. He's a preacher. The chapel at my Bible college was called Carrix Auditorium. It was a place where there was preaching. But it's interesting because that's not the Greek word here in verse 8. The Greek word in verse 8 is euagilitso, which means to proclaim news of victory. Announce good news. And what is it that we are announcing? Is it not the same message that Jesus began his earthly ministry with as recorded for us in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15? The time is fulfilled. The time has come. It's here. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has begun. The response should be, repent and believe in the gospel. King Jesus' kingdom has been inaugurated. If you are not yet a part of his kingdom, the call for you is to lay down your arms, stop your resistance, repent of your rebellion against the king. His kingdom is sweeping over the world, and one day he will return in flesh and blood to rule and reign forever and ever. Repent and believe in the gospel. And then share this message with those around you. Now I'm one that's helped when someone not only points out what I should do, but also gives me some help in how I can do that. So I'd like to briefly 
do that for you this morning by giving you six ways that you can be a messenger, an announcer for Jesus Christ, and or develop yourself as that minister. The first way is this. On your way out, grab one of these scaffolding the gospel cards. If you came in any of the four entrances to this church, unless you snuck in the kitchen way, you would have seen a stand with these cards on them. The larger one is laminated. It's very hard to write on. I'll just give you, you got a Sharpie. is about the only thing that can write on this. The smaller one is easier to carry around, and it's easy to write on the back. But the cards lay out a biblical strategy for sharing the gospel. As a matter of fact, it was the exact strategy that Don Cooper used in his ministry with Ernie. Number two, and you, you flip to the back of the card, begin praying for the lost that God has strategically placed in your lives. That's the first step on the front of the scaffolding, the gospel card, is to pray. And on the back of the card is your very own top ten list. And you might think, well, man, I don't know anybody. Just start praying. And as you do, God is going to bring you names that pretty soon your card is going to be filled up. You're going to be writing on the side and under and around. Carry this card with you. Put it on the dashboard of your car. Don't worry if the person you're praying for sees it. I'd let people know who's on my list. They're thrilled that I'm praying for them. Put it in your Bible that you use for devotions. And don't give up. Don't give up. Just this last week, my sister-in-law's 93-year-old father professed faith in Christ for the first time after being witnessed to for over 30 years. Every other time she tried to talk to him about Christ, he put up walls of resistance and she never gave up. And this last week, he made a profession of faith in Christ. Another great way to pray is to join one of our evangels and prayer meetings. We meet twice a week now. One time in person, one time on Zoom. We'd love to have you join us in one of these prayer meetings. If it's not convenient, we'll start another one. A time that's convenient for you. And you can also begin praying for the lost if you're in any of these other groups that meet throughout the week. Maybe you have someone that you've been praying for and they're interested in learning more about Christianity. Maybe you're sitting here and you said, and you're thinking, man, I, I need to dive into this some more. Learn what it really means. Come to one of these Christianity Explored, Life Explored, Hope Explored classes. And if we're not doing one of those classes, we can do a custom one for you. Attend the engagement project coming up here at South in just a few weeks. Help yourself by reading some good books on the subject of evangelism. Here are ones that I highly recommend, and they're in our church library or will be in our library soon. Join others in finishing off the Saturate 48917 ministry, sharing the gospel and invitations to South Church in our zip code. Friends, this is our great privilege and responsibility as Christ's ministers. We are ministers of the revealed mystery. This is the good news that we get to announce. 
Maybe you're here today, you've not yet crossed over to the kingdom. It may seem like, it may not seem like it right now, but the Bible describes this world in two kingdoms. One is the kingdom of God that you must consciously make a choice to cross over into. The other is the kingdom of darkness into which all of us are born in this world. And back in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul describes this as a place where we are dead in our sins. We're following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the people of disobedience. And we all have been there. We all lived in the passions of our flesh, giving in to the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we've been saved. And this grace is so important. It's important for two reasons. The first is because there's absolutely nothing we can do to tip the scales in our favor. We cannot do enough good things to offset the bad things that we've done. As a matter of fact, the Bible says if you do one sin, you're called a sinner. The other reason, though, that it's so important is because if we could do something, I might think I'm better than someone else. And I might take the credit upon me rather than give it to God where it belongs. So I encourage you, if you're here today or watching this on live stream, right now, wherever you are, repent of your sins, align yourself through faith in Jesus Christ as your King, your Lord, and one and only Savior. And if you have been rescued from your sins, you are now a citizen of Jesus' kingdom. You can begin sharing this good news. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchased of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son who yielded his life an atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. O come to the Father through Jesus the Son. And give him the glory, great things he hath done. Heavenly Father, we come here today to give you the glory. To thank you for all that you have done for us. And Lord, we pray that as we've been praying already, if there is someone here today who has not yet repented and crossed over into your kingdom, today would be that day. Lord, for those of us who call South Church our home, 
who come here on a regular basis, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and go out from this place. May we go out with eyes to see the world as you see it, separated from you, cut off from your hope, without God in this world. And may we have the compassion of Jesus and the heart and passion and love to share with them this good news. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.